Welcome, folks, to the Week 6 Podcast, Take the Points, college football podcast. It's Tom here with Ryan and Dan out in Arizona. And uh, gentlemen, very good week of college football last week. I want to get right into this because we have a lot of games and lines to discuss and a couple special features this week. So uh, let's start with Ryan this week. What are your takeaways from week five? Oof, takeaways. I think uh, the teams that we were most interested in in seeing how they would play, uh, for the most part, they showed up. Uh, Iowa, Penn State, Georgia all showed up. Cincinnati showed up. They were really good. And uh, and they're for real. And then um, other than that, amazing, amazing late night win by the Rainbow Warriors, taking down ranked Fresno State. Great to see. Hope you guys are back on the Rainbow Warrior bandwagon this year. So I had a pretty good week um, overall with my picks last week, but I made two of the worst mistakes uh, I've made in a long time. And unfortunately, they're the two that we spent the most time on last week. So I'm going to start with two apologies. One is directly to you, Ryan. Uh, I was pretty adamant. I thought Notre Dame was going to win and handle Cincinnati. And not only did Cincy win that game, but they won in exactly the way that you predicted. So I was wrong. You were right. Uh, I'm stupid. You're smart. Uh, you're good looking. I'm not very attractive, etc. cetera. Uh, and then the other one was Iowa. I mean, I thought that we were going to get a classic Kirk Ferentz performance and he was going to let us down, but the Iowa team is for real, and I won't be making that mistake again this year. So uh, Alabama, Georgia, and Iowa all looked awesome is my takeaway. The top three teams looked like the top three teams and were really great. And uh, we'll talk about all of them and more as we get into the lines. But Dan, reflections on a decent week five. Yeah, it was a pretty good week uh, overall. Obviously, Ole Miss just got off to a terrible start, and it snowballed out of control for them. Um, but uh, I think the biggest takeaway is Oregon, yet again, choking a game away. We talked about it on the show. Uh, they had the game in hand against Stanford, let Stanford go down the field, tie it, and they lose in overtime. Adios, Pac-12. I mean, the year was completely wide open for the Pac-12 to uh, grab one spot in the playoff. Now they have no chance. So um, yet again, Oregon with the choke job under Mario Cristobal, um, just like last year, sorry, two years ago with Herbert uh, against Arizona State. And, you know, it's just unfortunate. Um, I wish the Pac-12 would be able to pull their, you know, pull their shit together a little bit. But, you know, it was also just terrible to watch at Stanford, too, because there was no one at the game. It was like maybe 25 percent full. Uh, empty seats everywhere, whole end zones completely open, and to watch the number three in the country lose. So, uh, yeah, Oregon, big disappointment. Um, Georgia with another shutout, this time of Arkansas. Their defense is extremely good. And Clemson, uh, Boston College, but only scores 19 points. So Clemson is, is, is not even – you know, even close to how good they've been the past eight, 10 years. This is by far the worst Clemson team since, I don't know, maybe 2009, 2010, something like that. So, um, yeah, really interesting to see how the rest of the season is going to play out. 
So on Dan, the topic, what, oh, go ahead, Ryan. I was going to say, Dan, why, let me ask you this, though, with Clemson being down. Do you agree with Paul Feinbaum that this is the end of the Dabo dynasty? He says it's over and it will never be the same again. Do you agree? Um, I'm going to say that's not true yet because they still have amazing um, recruiting. I just think that their quarterback was overrated and isn't near living up to expectations. Um, maybe, you know, I'm, I don't, I think it's too early to say hard yes or hard. No, um, I'm still leaning. No, um, just because I think the ACC is really weak uh, as a conference. So, you know, if they can just, you know, have an okay year, maybe they can win the ACC three, the next four years against mediocre teams. They can, they can still get some really good recruits and if they hit a home run on a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence or, you know, some of the other players they've had drafted high, you know, they'll be fine. But um, right now they are a shell of them of themselves. And one other thing I'd like to mention, uh, Missouri gave up like 5,000 yards rushing to Tennessee last week and fired their defensive line coach. Um, we we had a conversation earlier in the year on Take the Points about Missouri hiring former Arizona uh, Cardinals head coach Steve Wilkes to run the defense. And we're like, probably not a good idea. It was not a good idea. Uh, their defense is terrible. They can't fire him because he's only been there five games. So they took the D-line coach as a sacrificial lamb. But uh, look for him to get the axe in about mm, seven weeks as well. So bad coaching. You see it all the time in college football. And it rears its ugly head yet again. Uh, I, I wanted to say one thing going back to Oregon, which is that um, all three of us picked Stanford to win outright last week. So I thought that was going to happen, but I will give Oregon some credit. They look good early and then they kind of slacked off late. Joe Moorhead was out with a non COVID illness, which is funny to me that they have to specify now, but uh, apparently he had some kind of surgery and was in the hospital. And um, I do think that made, might've been the difference in the game. If he was there, I think Oregon probably would have won that one. So I would not write off Oregon or Ohio state or any of those like top 10, one loss teams just yet. I think anything can happen as we go along. Now we're going to get in the lines in just a second, but Mr. Ryan Spillett has promised us something this week. And that is a tarmac report. And I just want to ask you if you want to do that now or if you're going to surprise us like usual. Or did you completely forget about it? C. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving along. Dan Partridge, let's, let's start some lines. All right. Uh, real quick. Right now, Coastal Carolina is taking out Arkansas State. Coastal Carolina of 31-0 early second half. Um, if we would have done this podcast earlier in the week, we would have talked about Coastal Carolina. I know that's hindsight right now, but Coastal Carolina, number two in FBS of uh, yards per play. Arkansas State's defense last in the country in yards per play allowed. That's a pretty crazy stat. And also, speaking of coaching, who's coaching Arkansas State these days? Do you guys know? Butch Jones. Oh, my God. Ooh. We, listen, it was a COVID year last year, but that's no excuse. We need, we need a coach tracker. Like we talk about the Santa tracker and attaching it to the leg of Greg Williams or Clay Helton or whoever else we like to bet against. Um, mm -hmm. 
who who was it? Uh, Polini. Polini got the original coach tracker. But <laughs> we're gonna have to mass produce these things, Dan. And like, we need Amazon on board. I mean, I mean, we need so many of these. We got supply I, chain issues with the coach tracker. It's tough. Yeah, that's an excellent idea, Tom. I think what we gotta do before next year is go through all the teams and look at their head coach, offensive and defensive coordinator compile an Excel spreadsheet and email it out. And then we'll just highlight, Oh, you forgot. So-and-so is the O coordinator here or so-and-so is the you know, head coach at FIU or whatever. And then we're just going to wager against them all year. And there's no chance we go under 500, like zero, 0.0% chance. It's a guaranteed winning system. Uh, all right. Well now let's move into games that take place over the weekend. Um, Tomorrow night, Stanford travels to Arizona State. Uh, Arizona State laying 14, sorry, 13. Uh, Arizona State's 4-1 and one on the year. Um, I'll start this one on the West Coast. I like Arizona State. They look great at UCLA. Uh, this is a classic letdown spot for Stanford after the big Oregon win. It's Friday night. It's still warm here. The temperature will be in the 80s, 85 degrees. Um, I think Arizona State can cover the two touchdowns. Total 51 and a half. That sounds about right. Um, you guys got any thoughts on this one? You going? I was thinking about it actually earlier in the year. I was looking for one uh, ASU um, game to go to, and I was going to go to the USC game, but nah, I'm not going to go. Who am I kidding? I'm going to watch it on TV and mesh shorts and chill out. Like it, t- it takes too much effort. Can't do it. Even though the stadium's like I don't know three miles from where I live or something like that, so. Uh, no. Speaking of nearby games, it overlaps with Penn state, Iowa. So I can't do it, but I really, really, really wanted to go to, uh, the toilet bowl this week, UMass, UConn. As you should, uh, and you should bring an iPad with you to watch the Penn state, Iowa game. Cause that game's gonna be epic. I'm sure we'll talk about that one later. We'll be sure to break that down, but I think that's really it for Friday. All right. On a Saturday. Um, actually there's a lot, a lot of teams off this week in college football. So kind of a small slate of games to pick from, but there's still some good ones out there right off the bat, 9am Oklahoma first Texas neutral site location game in Dallas, Oklahoma minus three total 63 and a half. What do you guys like for this one? Ryan, go ahead. I think this is the Bijan breakout game. I think this is the the kitchen sink Sark game where everything they've all the plays, all the gadgets that he's got, every crazy wheel route that he's holding, like this is all coming out in this game. And three points, I'm surprised. I thought it would be a little bit more, to be honest with you. Um, the three's really surprising to me, but I'll still go ahead and take a, a Texas money line. I think their defense is just Oklahoma's defense is just not, not good. And uh, their offense isn't really keeping up like the way they used to. So give me Texas. Yeah. I think this is a hard game. Um, it's a very, very tight line. It's only three, um, you know, Oklahoma and Texas, obviously it's the biggest game of the year for both teams. Texas traditionally has been known to cover this game, but they've been getting, you know, nine and a half, 10, 13, seven, nine, 12, whatever, over the past couple of years. Three is tough. It's basically saying, can you win this game? I don't know. Um, Texas has been playing a lot better than they have recently. 
Um, I don't like Oklahoma. I think the total's tough at 63 and a half. I, I think, uh, you know, Oklahoma's not ex- as explosive as they've been usually. Um, you know, Texas is still, you know, uh, a question mark. One week they score seven, next week they score, you know, 10 touchdowns on uh, Texas Tech. Um, I have no feel for this game. It's actually a pass for me, so I'm going to stay off this one. Crazy, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Unfortunately, it's the first real big game we get into, and I feel like it's one of the hardest ones of the week. I have three picks this week that I feel really strongly about, and um, I think I'll probably lay a lot of money on those and probably kind of lay back on the rest. So we'll get to those. Very good. All right. Uh, go to the Big Ten, Tom. Maryland, uh, fresh off of Tua Jr.'s 12 interception game. Travels to Ohio State. Ohio State laying 21, total 71. What do you like in this one, Tom? So I, I think we know what's happening with Ohio State, which is they do this a lot. They get the one early loss, and then everybody kind of forgets about them or writes them off or starts talking about other teams in the Big Ten like Iowa or Penn State. And then Ohio State just goes on a roll and beats everybody by 40. Definitely feels like one of those years. And they're because Penn State plays Iowa, whoever wins that will be the talk of the Big Ten for the next week. So Ohio State kind of gets to fly under the radar and just crush teams and, you know, stick around the six, seven, fifth spot in the country. And then in a few weeks, they'll play Penn State and, you know, they'll be probably ranked like fifth around that time, but they'll get there quietly by just, you know, blowing people out and maintaining that dominance over these lesser teams. So I think this is one of those places where they assert their dominance like they did last week against Rutgers. And I don't like that the line is over three touchdowns and that it keeps creeping up, but I see no, I see no way to bet on Maryland in this game. I think you have to lay it if you're going to bet this. Yeah, Tom, I agree. Ohio state over plus uh, Ohio state and the over hook it. Uh, I think this is like um, a game where Ohio state scores in the fifties and uh, Maryland scores in the twenties. So I think like 59, 23 sounds about right. Something crazy. Ryan, you got anything on this one? I was going the exact same score. 58, 28. Yeah, there you go. That sounds about right. Yeah, definitely in the fifties and in the twenties. Sounds right to me as well. So Let's let's lock it in at that. All right. Sounds good. All right, Tom, staying in the Big Ten, two in a row for you. Michigan State travels to Rutgers. Michigan State laying only five and a half, total of 51. Rutgers been playing some teams very tight. Uh, they are the least penalized team in the country because of all the wood chopping they do there in New Jersey. Want to put uh, want to you know make sure I give credit where credit's due. Can they cover this five and a half point spread on Michigan state? And is Michigan state underrated at number 11? I think Michigan state is properly rated at number 11, Michigan state. uh, um, I've said bad things about Mel Tucker or not bad things, but I just didn't think he was going to succeed there. And I was way, way off, very wrong. So he's been great. Uh, Michigan state's been really good, but Rutgers has always has also been good. I mean, these are probably the two most improved teams Um, well, along with Iowa, obviously, but over the last, uh, from last year to this year, like these teams are on the rise. So it's probably tight. Michigan state's on the road for a couple weeks, and then they've got uh, little brother, Michigan on the 30th. So it's probably too far ahead for a look at spot. I think they take care of business, but I don't think they would shed them. So 
I'm looking at a Michigan State seven point win. Ryan, this is weird because I think Michigan State's a bit overrated here, like overranked, because the 11th team in the country is playing Rutgers and it's five and a half. Like Vegas knows that Michigan State's kind of a fraud as a top 15 team. They're more of like the 23rd best team in the country, not the 11th best team. So this is a total stay away, but I just want to point out that Vegas knows that Michigan State's kind of fraudulent. I mean, I think Vegas is pretty right on with the line, but I think Michigan State, that would be an accurate statement in other years. But when you look around the landscape, I just don't think there are that many good teams this year. There are a few great teams. There are maybe eight above average teams, and then everybody else is just kind of in a mix. And Michigan State's been as good as anybody else in that mix, which is why they get to about 11th. So they're probably not as good as a team like Florida, but you know, Florida has the two losses, so you can't put them up higher. Um, And they're probably not as good as a team like Kentucky, but most of the other teams that are ranked in the teens and certainly in the low twenties, I don't think are any better than Michigan state. I mean, 23 would put them right around what Fresno state. I think they're certainly better than that. I'm a week behind in my rankings. I know Fresno is not there anymore, but. Florida's number 20 for what it's worth. All right. Well, they're, Uh, they're underrated at number 20. But they're an anomaly because of the schedule. Dan, before we move on from the state of New Jersey, do you have thoughts on the Sopranos movie? Yeah, uh, it was all right. Um, if you're a, uh, um, a fan of the show, obviously, you know, uh, it's pretty, you know, I mean, it's entertaining because of all the, uh, you know, kind of flashbacks and you know younger characters and all the funny quotes that some of the characters said, you know, but. If you haven't seen every episode of The Sopranos multiple times, it's not a great movie. I mean, that, that's pretty much, you know, I think that's an honest uh, review, basically. Um, but, you know, I love The Sopranos. I think it's a fantastic show. So I thoroughly enjoyed it and laughed. But um, it's one of those movies I think I'll watch one time and never watch it again. But it does open up the possibility for them, for them to do a whole bunch of other prequels. You know, they could do a whole bunch of characters. So, you know, all right. It was just okay. I Do you see it. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent with everything you just said. Just okay. Only worth watching if you've seen the Sopranos. And if you have seen the Sopranos and you like it the way we do, it's a good solid watch. You're not wasting your time by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the, the guy who plays uncle junior, a young uncle junior is pretty good. I think standout Great. performance. Yes. But other than that, nothing truly special about the movie to really uh, write home about. And um, also, it was another movie that you think is going to be about something else based on the trailer. You think it's about, you know, Tony. Young Tony. No, not about Tony as a kid. Very, very false advertising on that. Um, You know, I had a sense. I had a sense the way it was edited and the fact that they got, you know, Gandolfini's son. I'm like, something's up. Like, this is just going to be about the other guys. Correct. But, uh, you know, whatever. For two hours and at home, it was on HBO now. It's not like I had to go to the theater or anything. 
So, so a fun fact, um, I went to the restaurant Holston's, which is portrayed in, uh, the movie and in the final episode of the Sopranos where, um, you know, where in the last scene where it cuts to black, uh, that is down the street from my brother's new house in New Jersey. So we were visiting him and, uh, I actually went there and I got a, uh, a nice picture of my daughter in, uh, the sitting at the counter and one of those stools in the same seat as the guy who, uh, uh, well, spoiler yeah. alert, the guy who I believe killed Tony Soprano at the end of the show. No, oh, that's awesome, Tom. That, that's a great photo. Well done. It's a well done. it's a good one. Yeah, I hope when she grows up, if she can ever watch The Sopranos, if they don't just have like holograms by that point, and people actually watch TV shows, that I can show her that, and she'll be like, "Oh, that's pretty cool," you know. So it's really akin good. to if I as a I as a kid was in like I don't know some location of the final show of Mash or something like that. Excellent decision. Um, great photo. Uh, and for what it's worth in this game, I, I like Michigan State to win in cover. I think the, the spread's five points too low. I think it should be ten and a half, not five and a half. Um, I think this uh, this line's low because Rutgers kept it close against a way overrated Michigan team, um, which we'll talk about in a little bit. All right, now now moving away from the Big Ten, thank God, uh, and moving to the SEC, we got Arkansas at Ole Miss. Both teams coming off humbling losses last week. Ole Miss laying five and a half, total 66 and a half. Ryan, which team uh, has a bounce back performance and why? That's really tough. This is like a total stay away game for me because I want to see how they which team does that's the big question, which team bounces back? Um, I think probably Lane's more likely to come out guns blazing, just show everybody that they're they're fine. But Arkansas is just like steady. But as we know, playing a team as physical as Georgia, it might take them two weeks to get back to normal again after a game like that. So Probably a stay away, but if I had to pick a side, I'd lean Ole Miss because it's under a touchdown. Yeah, um, I kind of agree with you. Um, it's a hard game to bet. I don't think that, you know, I don't think it's a game where you can go over 66 and a half just because of how Ole Miss's offense looked last week and how, well, Arkansas's offense looked last week. They got shut out as well. Tough to lay points with Ole Miss. You know, you don't know what their mental uh, state of mind is going to be, but. You know, it's an interesting game just to kind of you know keep an eye on. I mean, there's a lot of good early games this week. I'm going to stay away from it, just kind of flip the channel and check this one out periodically. I absolutely would not touch this game at all. I think a lot of people are going to be down on these two teams, but I think the two teams that beat them last week were just that good. The question yeah. for me is exactly what you mentioned. Like, did either of them get their soul taken, get Shang Tsung by Saban or Kirby Smart? It appears Kirby Smart has learned the Saban trick of taking a team's soul where they beat them so badly that you can't ever bounce back. So I, I would look for any team that just gets shut out by Georgia or destroyed by Alabama. The question for them is, will they bounce back the next week? And that's something we have to watch the whole season because the soul taking you know, never ends. Shang Tsung is... Still and alive. Ask Manny Diaz. Yeah, Manny Diaz. I mean, South Carolina has been garbage after Georgia absolutely demolished them. I I think there's going to be 
between Alabama and Georgia, I think they're not just going to win a lot of games, but I think they're going to ruin a lot of seasons. I think we're going to look back and we're going to be able to name at least eight teams whose seasons were destroyed by those two teams. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I, don't right have a, I don't have a pick. We can move on. Yeah. All right, we're going to stay in the SEC for this one. Georgia at Auburn. Georgia laying 15 and a half, total 46 and a half. Um, you know, it looks like JT Daniels is going to be out again. It's going to be Mr. Stetson Bennett. You got Auburn's going with uh, old faithful Bo Nix. This is the oldest rivalry I want to say in college football. I think it goes back 125 years, if I'm correct. It's eight, um, like 1896 or something like that. Yeah, that, that'd be 125, I think. Um, yeah, actually. Yeah, look at that. Once let, in a while. Me, I uh, made that up. Let me look that up and be sure about that. 125. Um, like I said, the total for this game is 46 and a half. And, and although it's in the 40s and it's college football, again, I think it's the right number. Um, I'm going to take an under in this game. Look, Georgia's defense is fucking ridiculous. So this, this might be the best defense we've seen in college football in a long time. I can't think of one that has been as good as them. I mean, that's two shutouts in a row in the, in the SEC. I know they played Bandy in Arkansas, but zero points allowed is almost impossible. Um, and Auburn, you got um, their quarterback, uh, Crazy Bo Nix, scrambling around, making plays happen last week. If he tries that shit this week against Georgia, he's going to get fucking killed. Uh, his head might actually leave his body and roll down the field. So, I'm going under, and the problem is Georgia's offense, you know, is is just kind of awful with Stetson Bennett. I mean, he threw for like 70 yards last week, so I hate laying 15 and a half. Although I'm not never taking Auburn in the spot, I'm just going to take under 46 and a half and hope for again, like what we said last week, Arkansas 27 to six. I think was our prediction on the show. That sounds good again. 27 six Georgia victory. Ryan, what you got? A hundred percent agree. The play here is the under. Um, I think it's an easy under, but if you really want to load up on this game, make some money, take all the bonics under props, every prop they offer, just take an under. Cause like Dan said, he's going to run around and try to make plays and he ain't going to make it to the fourth quarter. Like <laughs> he's either going to get pulled or he's going to get murdered. So I, if you really want to make money on this game, go under on all the Bo Nicks props. So I've watched, like- I've watched some Auburn football this year. They played at Penn state and then I watched their game against LSU as well. And uh, the thing you got to know, if you're not familiar with Auburn is that they are a uh, run first team and the running is really their strength. Even though Bo Nicks kind of gets the attention, it's uh, tank Bigsby and um, Hunter. Um, are a great dual threat. The problem with that is that when your strength goes up against the greatest run defense in college football, and as Dan mentioned, one of the best we've seen in a long time, what are you going to do when they neutralize your strength? Well, you got Bo Nix running around and I'm with you, Ryan, by the third quarter, they're just going to be teeing off on Bo Nix and they're probably going to be up by 20 points at that point. So I don't like the, again, the line is creeping up. I think it opened at Georgia minus 14, which I liked. Now it's up to 16. I'm starting to like it slightly less, but 
I think Georgia's going to cover this game. I actually think Georgia's going to win resoundingly. Auburn's not going to score very many points. And you might want to do what we used to do with those Utah teams a few years ago and do the rare Georgia big line plus under hook where you have a somewhat narrow window. But I think the window is good enough in this one. I think this game is going to be like 32 to six. I really think Georgia's going to handle them. I like it, Tom. Very nice reference there. The Utah underhook that was like that won like nine times in the calendar year, which is impossible, but it actually came in. So it came in every week, every single week, George, uh, Utah and under, and they would win every game. They kept getting lower. One was 38 and a half and they won <laughs> like 32 to three. And it was insane. Hey, if it works, it works. All right. Uh, speaking of going out West, a rare twelve thirty Pacific start. Boise State at BYU. Two and three. Boise State uh, with the loss against UCF begin the year. A controversial one point loss to Oklahoma State, where they got fucked over by the refs really bad, and then they lost to Nevada in a shootout. They traveled to BYU. BYU with some quarterback injury issues. BYU laying six points. Based on my intro, you can hear where I'm going with this one. I like Boise State in the six. Uh, this is an afternoon game, so some weird shit goes down. I don't think BYU is as good as people think. They're the fucking ranked 10th team in the country, which makes no sense to me. Um, I don't see Zach Wilson running around back there playing quarterback. I don't see a 27-year-old um, quarterback uh, after his mission, uh, you know, playing quarterback either. Um I'll take the six points with Hank Bachmeyer. You know, he's got 11 touchdowns. He got over 1,500 yards passing already in five games. Six is a lot of points. I, I, I just think this is too big of a spread, but I could be definitely wrong. You guys got anything on this one? No, nah, let's uh, – I, I suggest we try to power through some of these lines quickly. Okay, great. Sounds good. Wake Forest at Syracuse then. Wake Forest minus six, over under 58. Uh, Syracuse's uh, number one wide receiver enters the transfer portal and disappears on the team. I saw that. Um, not good. No, not good. He was actually pretty good last year, probably based on his numbers anyway, with no quarterback play at all. So he might be good for somebody if he transfers. I don't know where he's going to go. Uh, go ahead, guys. Wake minus six, total 58. Ryan, what you got? Lay it. Oh, I disagree. Okay. I think Wake's going to be the – I'm probably not the first team to do this, but they're going to pull off a rare feat of winning the ACC without ever covering a game. That's my prediction. Take the points with Q's. Wake wins by four. I like under 58. Again, um, I know last week Syracuse-Florida State game went over. By the way, nice job, Florida State, getting it done. Uh, Nobody cares. But uh, I, I don't think Syracuse can score, especially Syracuse at home for some reason. You would think on turf, It'd be overs, but it seems like the last couple of years, even you know before this year, there's been a lot of unders for Syracuse. Well, well, they're, they're not good, is the problem. That thank you, Tom. That makes a lot of sense. So we're gonna go under 58 for this one and move on with the rest of our lives. All right, let, let, now we're going to the real game of the week. <clears throat> UConn travels to UMass. 0 and 6 UConn at 0 and 5 UMass. Uh, UMass's head coach has won one football game in his head coaching career ever. 
UConn's starting quarterback is out for the year. Um, Z, why is UConn laying three and a half? <laughs> Somebody's got to lay points in this game. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know any, I mean, I don't, there's no logic to be had for this game. This is literally the reverse playoff. You know, UConn loses to Vandy and now they advance to see who the worst team in the country is to play the powerhouse UMass. Um, Literally for the worst team in the country, this game. Um, So I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I thought UConn was a better team, but now they're missing their quarterback and who knows what's going to happen. I, I mean, you're, you're insane. If you try to pick a side in this game, just watch, watch the awfulness in action. I do feel like you should be the one to pick this Dan as a uh, dual alum of sorts. It is true. I did go to UMass uh, branch campus for grad school. So I am a dual alum, a rare dual alum when it comes to picking games. Uh, look, I refuse to lay any points with the Yukon Huskies, although that they've covered three games in a row, which is very remarkable. Um, in a loss, un- though. <laughs> it's, it's really unbelievable. Um, look, I'm not going to wager this game. I'm not going to watch a minute of it. But if I had to, always take the points. It's the name of our damn show. And uh, I see two shitty teams playing a shitty game, or maybe it's one by a field goal. So I'll take the three and a half. Ryan, I'm sure, has zero thoughts on this game. So we're going to move right on to the real game of the week. All right, Tom, Penn State at Iowa. A lot of stuff going on here. Iowa minus one and a half total. Oof, 41 points. Give us the full breakdown, Tom. Well, there's a lot of ways to look at this. Uh, Number one, Iowa has... Um, their schedule doesn't look as good now that Iowa State's, you know, floundered a little bit. Um, but if you just go by the eye test, Iowa looks like clearly the third best team in the country. And there's a big gap between three and anybody else. They've looked dominant. Uh, Petrus has been, uh, serviceable and pretty good. Uh, their tight ends, obviously they're Iowa. They have good tight ends. The receivers are coming along and improving nicely. Uh, but it's really the run game. I mean, with Goodson that just um, dominates time of possession, dominates teams. Uh, Goodson can break off those long runs. Um, the Iowa defense, though, I guess would be the story. They've gotten, what, what, five turnovers off of Little Tua last week. The first game they played against Indiana, they had uh, – more points off interceptions returned for touchdowns than Indiana scored. I mean, the one cornerback from Iowa single-handedly scored more points than Indiana's team, which is amazing. And it, you think a streak like that's got to stop, right? Like you can't just keep having these three, four, five turnover games every week. And yet they do. And now they go up against uh, dangerous Sean Clifford, who's, you know, scary to watch as a Penn state fan, you know, he's had big numbers, but you know, you never feel completely sure with him at quarterback. And I was got a good run defense and Penn state's run game has been garbage to say. I mean, frankly, it looked better last week. They really focused on the run game and trying to improve it. The transfer from Baylor, John Lovett, if you remember him, Dan, uh, coming over from your Baylor bears, he's looked like maybe their best 
running back, but he still hasn't been great. Noah Kane, who was the star running back a couple of years ago, came off a huge, horrible injury last year, and he just hasn't looked the same. I mean, he just can't. He's not as quick. He can't cut. So I'm, as you can tell, I'm concerned. Um, Iowa seems to have the advantage in um, Iowa's defense versus Penn State's offense. I think there's a, a distinct advantage unless Penn State can suddenly get really good or if they just decide to throw like 60 times you know, if they just decide we're not going to run, um, I don't feel like Penn state can run the ball against Iowa at all. Um, on the flip side though, Penn state happens to have an amazing defense and they know what Iowa does. Iowa doesn't try to hide it. They don't scheme. They just line up and try to jam it down your throat. And, um, we'll see if Penn state can stop that. Um, their past defense has been better than their run defense this year. So, Iowa's strength is run. So it's not a good matchup for Penn State, however you look at it. Um, because it's a huge game and because it's a defensive struggle and because I I know there's going to be some kind of turnovers that shift momentum, I don't think it ends up in a blowout. But for me, it's really hard to break this game down in any way that favors Penn State. And then you've got the whole Iowa at home, children's hospital thing, Penn State on the road at Iowa is probably, besides Ohio State, it's been the toughest place they've played over the last 10 to 15 years. So it's not looking good, Danny. Uh, I'm going to hold out hope as a Penn State fan, but there's really no numbers, no eye test, no nothing that indicates Penn State should have the advantage here. I guess the only advantage would be that they've played a tougher schedule and have a little more like game tough game experience against Auburn, you know, Wisconsin week one when Wisconsin was good, etc. So I would have to go Iowa and the over under is insanely low. I mean, it's gotta be unders with Penn state, but it's too low. So no, no great bets. I guess that Iowa is the better team. I agree with you, Tom. Um, Somewhat. Um, I hate it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Iowa just for the home field advantage. Uh, it seems like they're maybe like a magical team this year that gets a lot of like turnovers and weird fumbles and picks and tip balls go their way. Even when Penn State's you know, ranked higher than Iowa and they can go on the road and play in that fucking stadium, they, it's, it's cursed. Iowa's always played Penn State well, even back when like Kerry Collins, you know, whatever – 90s Penn State, I would be unranked. It'd be a three-point game in the fourth quarter. Um, I actually like the under 41. Again, I don't give a shit. I don't think anyone's scoring unless there's turnovers and the kick field goals. Both defenses are way better than the offenses. I was going to play conservative. They're going to do what they do. They're not going to do anything like, you know, long pass plays or spread formation or anything like that. They're a very consistent team. So I'm going to take uh, Iowa and the under, and we'll hook it, and we'll probably happily lose both bets. Ryan? Um, for me, it just comes down to who's the best player on the field. And it's and it's Goodson, and it's not even close. Um, right. And if you had to pick who's the second best player on the field, it's probably Iowa center. That dude's ridiculous. And... Um, you know, it's rare that a center goes in the first round of the draft, but he's going to go in the first round of the draft. So 
I think that's what makes all the differences. You know, the two best players are the running back and the center that he's, you know, running behind. So I'm going to take Iowa in this spot. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree and disagree. I mean, I think the Jahan Dotson on Penn state's a first round pick most likely. And I think he's the best skill position, you know, him, him or Goodson are both equally talented. The problem is Penn state has no rush game to open things up for him. And they haven't gotten a ton of production out of their other uh, receivers and tight ends. Like, a couple games. Brenton Strange had one really good game and Parker Washington had a good game, but there hasn't been consistent production from other guys and Clifford's been hit or miss. So it's like you have this, you know, potential top 15 pick, but you can't get him the ball in open spaces and you can't, you know, play to his strengths. What good is it? Christian has like 6,000 career rushing yards. Like, just go with that guy. Well, well, I that's what I'm saying. Iowa, they're equally talented, but Iowa knows how to use Goodson and is using him to his full potential. Whereas Penn State tries to get it to Dotson on these eight yard hitches and hope he can break something. And they're not, you know, they're not getting the all out of him. You know, he's as good as like KJ Hamler was a couple of years ago when he would have like 130 yards every game, but they can't get him the ball the way they used to get KJ Hamler. So. I'm concerned. It all goes bad. I mean, we're all saying the same thing, so we don't need to nitpick this, but yeah, it's not looking good folks. Um, Z, is there a question you want to ask me about? I was coached by chance. There is a question, Dan. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, my favorite new segment on the show is something that doesn't have a name, but we've been calling it coaching restaurant or, you know, we need something snappier, but basically my question to you, a few weeks ago about Mr. Scott Frost was, you know, when Scott Frost gets fired and is unhirable by any division one team, um, what job could he take? We joked about him running a restaurant and then we talked about like what restaurant would he be qualified to run? And you said Chili's cause it hasn't been good since the nineties. Then we talked about Lincoln Riley. We thought that was funny. You said compared him to Outback Steakhouse, all the ingredients, but just can't pull it off to the elite level of a steakhouse. So we're going to keep it going, Dan. And this week I'm going to ask about someone whose job is not in jeopardy. Again, Mr. Kirk Ferentz. I want to throw you a curveball and make it a little tougher. Kirk Ferentz of Iowa. If he, for some reason, could never be a football coach again, and the only job he could have was as a restaurant manager, which national restaurant is Kirk Ferentz best suited to run? That's an excellent t- uh, question, Tom. Thanks for setting me up with that. If Kirk Ferentz was fired tomorrow and was looking for a restaurant job, I can't think of a better place where he'd be a, a great manager than that Kentucky Fried Chicken. And let me tell you why it's KFC. Iowa does the same thing every year. They run the ball, they play defense, and they do play-action pass to the tight end. There's no spread formations. There's no um, elite quarterback. There's no elite wide receivers. There's no surprises with them. They're the same team. Just like KFC does fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and gravy. And that's what they do. KFC's menu is only those things. There's no McCafe. There's no uh, lean options with like, you know, under 500 calorie menu. It's the same shit every year. Quietly underrated. KFC is the third biggest fast food chain in the world. You won't expect that. 
It's a holiday tradition in Christmas in Japan to get KFC. It goes, they are number three behind McDonald's. The number one's actually fucking Subway somehow, which is totally ridiculous. But who would have thought KFC is the third biggest chain in the world? Not me. Well, Iowa just does the same thing every year. They run the ball. They play defense. It's play action to the tight ends. They had two tight ends taken in the draft. They were the first two wide receivers slash tight ends taken and Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson a couple years ago. Um, just an underrated, underrated team year in, year out. Just like how KFC is underrated. Tom, tomorrow night, pick up a bucket of chicken, some mashed potatoes and gravy for the family. No one's going to be disappointed. It's chicken. Just like U-Turn said, Ryan, everybody loves that shit. Chop it up and sell it. It's the best advice I've ever heard in my entire life. And that's what KFC does. And that's what Iowa does. So Kirk Ferentz would seamlessly fit right into Kentucky Fried Chicken. Thank you. Would he have to dress like the Colonel? If he wants to, it doesn't matter. It's KFC. Apparently you can do whatever you want. You know, I mean, that's the beauty of KFC. Uh, They're just excellent in what they do. You know, it's you're of course it's perfect because this is our best new segment and you're very good at this, but it's, I'm, I find this to be really fitting because KFC is always good, but every other time I go there, they seem to be out of half the stuff I want. What? So it, that is much like Iowa in that Iowa always does the same thing, but they seem to be really great every other year. And then okay every other year. I've not heard of KFC having any chicken outages when we're... we're no, 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 the- not the chicken, the sides. They're always out of the sides. Uh, interesting. Well, maybe that could be a COVID shipment issue. That's out of their control. It could just but, be, uh, it could be a Connecticut thing. You know, it's Kentucky fried chicken. They maybe radiate from Lexington and, you know, yeah. we're not in the but, inner uh, ring. But no, seriously, hats off for KFC for being a major international chain. Like you wouldn't think that was the one that really took off outside the United States. I mean, it's all over the world. They have, they have eight times more franchises than Popeye's when I was doing my research for this segment. I thought that was pretty impressive. And like I said, uh, Christmas Day in Japan, a big tradition is to get KFC. To I mean, that's who the fuck would have thought, right? So anyway, I was a lot like KFC, underrated and always good. I love it. All right, let's do some more games. What do we got? All right. Uh, sorry, I got off on a tangent there. Moving back on. It's an important tangent, Dan. Yeah. All right, let's keep it in the Big Ten. Michigan and Nebraska. Night game in Nebraska, 5-0, and number nine ranked Michigan. Travels to 3-3 three and three Nebraska. Let's see, you got the ninth, rated, ninth ranked team in the country playing against a 3-3 three and three team. Clearly, it's an easy line to set at Michigan minus three. Total 50 and a half. Tom, who wins? Why? What's up with this line? That's the question that I was going to ask you guys. So I'm obviously, you know, Big Ten centric more so than you guys as, you know, somewhat of innocent bystanders. What are your impressions of Michigan this year? Do you have any? Have you really watched them or are they kind of under the radar? I've not really watched them, to be honest. I just see them kind of, you know, I mean, they played Western Michigan week one. That's your standard blowout. Then they played that terrible Washington team in the primetime game. They beat up on the worst team in the MAC at NIU. And then they played that 20 to 13 game against Rutgers where they like basically had no first downs in the second half. And then they, they took care of business and 
whip Wisconsin on the road. Wisconsin's not good though. This is a terrible Wisconsin team. We found out. Um, but number nine ranked is just, it's, it's, they're, they're ranked nine because of the name University of Michigan and being undefeated, but not about how good their players actually are. Nebraska, got to give credit where credit's due, has been playing a lot better as of late, but I cannot wager with Scott Frost. I cannot wager on Jim Harbaugh. This is a 1,000% stay away. Whoever wins, congratulations. Whoever the loser is, we'll make fun of next week on the show. That's a good consolation prize for me. Tom? I do not agree with that. I think oh. I think for once, we've made fun of Harbaugh and Michigan for how many years have we been doing this show? All the years he's been there. I think they're sneaky good this year. And they are a running team and a defense team, and their quarterback's not great. And they have not played teams in primetime games or games that most of the country has seen. And so it's pretty easy to see why most people would not be thinking about them or thinking about them as like a mid-level team, but they are very, very physical. They, they have two great running backs and in the games where they can push people around and dominate the run and dominate the lines of scrimmage. I think they're really well suited to control teams and think of them as like a poor man's Georgia this year. Lots of running, lots of defense, not necessarily the prettiest style, but getting the wins and controlling the tempo in the games, except for Rutgers, which was a weird one. Um, I think they'll struggle when they play a team like Ohio state and they have to open up the offense and, you know, Cade McNamara needs to throw a lot. Then I think Michigan's in big trouble But when they play a team like Nebraska, I think they're going to push them around and uh, establish dominance. And I think the only reason the line is close is because uh, everybody knows Adrian Martinez and nobody knows Blake Corum yet. And it's at Nebraska and it's at night. And so I don't think this is going to be a good game to watch. I think this is going to be one of those games where it's ugly. It's, uh, (laughs) But, but it's also not really close, even though the score might be within 10, 13 points. Like, I think it's going to be one of those games where, where you watch for two quarters and you're like, all right, I, I know what's going to happen. Like, I know how this is going to end. Michigan is going to win this game 28. They'll score 28, but they'll do it over like with seven field goals and a touchdown or something like that. And uh, I think they're going to win like 28, 13. Pretty good. Ryan, you got any thoughts on this piece of shit game? No, I think the parental controls on my TV block this game, so I don't think I can watch it. Yeah, you know, that's smart. Very smart. I like I like where your technology is at. All right, let's go back to the SEC. LSU, 3-2 and two LSU, travels to 5-0 and oh Kentucky. Kentucky minus 3, total 51. LSU loses this game. They're three and three and Eddie O's seat is even hotter than it is right now. Ryan, start this one for us. Go big blue. I am a hundred percent on the Kentucky bandwagon. Uh, I think they're just really, really good. Um, You know, we were talking about, you know, Michigan state and, uh, and BYU being the 10, 11 range. I think that's where Kentucky belongs. I think, I think they're a top 10 team right now. They're really, really good. They control the ball. 
They dominated the line of scrimmage. They hit hard. Like, their guys hit hard. They're, they're a real SEC team for, like, finally. So I like them at home in this spot. This is a huge home game for them. You know, LSU being a West team, they don't play every year. So Big Blue Nation is going to show up. I think it's going to matter. And uh, I think Max Johnson has a little bit of trouble on the road in Lexington. So I'm taking Kentucky. The three points doesn't scare me at all. See? Totally agree. Kentucky's good. Um, I agree with you. I don't think Michigan State or BYU are necessarily overrated. I just think Kentucky's really underrated. I think uh, the people who make the polls, you know, they don't want to put too many SEC teams up that high, but sometimes you just have to. This Kentucky team is a top 10 team. They they got their quarterback in Levis. They got two great running backs. Cavassier Smoke, my favorite player in college football outside Penn State right now. And I think it'll be close, but I think they're going to win. And I'm this is going to be my, uh, I'm going to start a new segment, which is a very short segment called Unnecessary Field Storming of the Week. I think Kentucky as a three and a half point favorite gets the win and storms their own field. I'm going to go under 51 in this game. I don't think uh, I don't think there's a lot of points to be had in this one. So I'm going to bet the under and cross my fingers. Uh, speaking of unders, Alabama travels to Texas A&M. Alabama minus 18, total of 51. Let's just check in on that Texas A&M offense, boys. Seven, they scored 10 against Colorado, followed up with 34 against New Mexico, which is like 13 against a normal team. And then they've lost two in a row. They scored 10 against Arkansas and 22 against Michigan State. That's not good. Now they're playing Alabama at home. Well, good thing they gave Jimbo $75 million for 10 years because he's on fireball after they lose this one and go to three and three. I'll start this one. Late with Alabama, uh, this line is far too low. A&M can't score. Bama will score. 34 to six Alabama final. And that's low. Fuck that. 44 to six final Alabama. That, I was in that. I was going to say 41, 13. That's my uh, prediction on this game. Z, you got anything? Yeah. Uh, number one favorite bet of the week for me. It's, it was lower if you got it earlier in the week. Now it's crept up to 18, but I still like it. I think they are going to obliterate this Texas A&M team. Same here. And keep in mind that when Jimbo signed that contract, he said that he was going to, quote, whip Alabama's ass under his watch. And uh, they asked Nick Saban about that, and he said, in what, football or golf, I believe was <laughs> Yes. So, 44 nothing. Let me change the prediction on that one. Nick yeah, Saban has Nick Saban has Michael Jordan ask levels of like remembering slight grievances. Yeah, this is not good. Um, even if A and M somehow covers, it doesn't matter. This is the wager of the week. So, uh, yeah, go what ahead would and lay be, the what would be the best you can imagine A and M doing in this game? Best case winning, scenario, winning a, a fluke game like. 21 to like 20 with like 
you know, a pick six, a block punt for a touchdown. Alabama kicks her like night. Alabama settles for like four field goals inside of like 30 yard field goals or something. Like that's like a one in a thousand chance. Everything has to go right, but their offense will not move the ball in Alabama at all. And uh, they have to figure out a way to keep it close. It just, it looks impossible. It, it actually impossible. The line should be a lot more than it is. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing I, we say all the time on this show is the, like, if you can't beat the clown, how are you going to beat Shooter McGavin? And Texas A&M in the last few years can't beat Alabama. They've lost by, you know, 15, 17, 20 points with Kellen Mond or superior quarterback play. Now they have this like Calzone guy playing quarterback who hasn't been <laughs> able to do, he hasn't been able to do anything this year. I'm sure he's, you know, I'm sure he came in, you know, highly rated or three or four stars or whatever, but like he hasn't shown it on the field yet. And it's not just him. I mean, there's trouble all around him. You know, obviously the offensive line can't be that good if you got Spiller and you're still not putting up numbers. So I don't see how they, I think the best case scenario would be a 14 point loss. That's accurate. With that's with like trickery and interceptions and all that. So lay it, lay it, lay it. Possible. All right. Last game of the night. There's not much for late night action this week. Uh, we're going to cap this one off with Utah at, UC, at USC. UC, USC minus three, total 52 and a half. Ryan, you got any thoughts on this one? Utah under revenge from when Utah should have been a playoff team and they lost to the USC and ruined their chances of the playoff. They were the Tinder team that broke my heart. I made the mistake of falling in love with the Tinder chick. It ended bad. I got robbed, beaten, stole my identity. It's terrible. But, Very. you know, I'm going to roll with Utah in the revenge game. I think uh, USC is vulnerable, and uh, and I think Utah's got more motivation. Stole my identity. <laughs> and you keep going back. Um, so I'm going to take the – Oh, go I ahead, Dan. To- Sorry. Sorry, I'm just going to take the over in this game. I, I, I think yeah, USC at home, uh, any totals in the 50s too low. Their defense isn't great. Their offense always seems to score some points. Graham Harrell, air raid, 52 and a half too low. That's all. Ryan, we're six weeks into the season. Who's your Tinder team of 2021? Oh, it's Kentucky. Mine, I mean, I, mine too. Oh, I thought you had Wake Forest, so... Uh... Uh, well, yes, both, but Kentucky doesn't really count because they got Will Levis from Penn State. So it's almost like you know, we were we were set up by a mutual friend. <laughs> good. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, that concludes this week's lines. Uh, Iowa Penn State seems to be the game to watch. Um, if you're losing money going into the Alabama game, just unload the clip on Alabama and um, sit back. And real quick, who's going to win the Heisman? Is, is, is Bryce Young going to win it? Just they're going to hand it to him for going undefeated. I mean, is there anyone else? I, I mean, I guess if Iowa wins this game, I mean, first of all, 
Iowa's schedule after this game is terrible. They don't play anybody the whole rest of the year. They, they beat Penn State. They're going undefeated. So Yeah, that's why Iowa fans are psyched. They, that's why they're calling it the biggest game since, like, the 1980s because they know the rest of the, the rest of – I mean, there's Wisconsin, which is always going to be a tough one just because it's Wisconsin and it's the Big Ten West. But yeah, their schedule's uh, very favorable after this game. Yeah, you're right. It's true. But there's the All Big right. Ten championship game. Uh, so my money is still, as it was at the beginning of the season, on C.J. Stroud, putting up huge numbers quietly. He's got Penn State. He's got Michigan. He's got Michigan State coming up later in the year. And then he'll have Iowa if Iowa makes, well, when Iowa makes the Big Ten championship. So there's a lot of time for him to shine. I think Goodson will get in the conversation after this week and uh, outside man, outside two big 10 guys. I mean, I think Rattler's still in the conversation as long as they keep winning Bryce young Robinson looked awesome. Uh, yeah. Alabama Robinson Bijan looked awesome too, but Alabama, I mean, if they keep winning in that fashion, didn't he have what one seventy and four touchdowns last week? Yeah. So to me, he's the guy if Alabama keeps winning. But the I said to you guys, if Heisman were truly about the best player, it would go to either uh, Davis on Georgia or the entire Georgia defense. That's per- and yet you're probably right. And also keep in mind that the other running back for, Al- for Alabama is out for the year, um, McClellan or whatever. So now Robinson's going to get every touch in that backfield. Well, not every, but you know he'll get more than even before. So. He should get a lot of touches. Um, is it possible for Matt Corral to still win this thing after getting shut out at Alabama or just everyone's going to remember that it's going to be impossible to overcome. He would have to, I mean, he would have to do a lot the rest of the season and all the rest of the guys would have to falter. He's not in a good position right now. You have to play okay. good. No, you have to play well in your have a seven games. touchdown game. He's going to have a seven touchdown game any day now. Maybe not Arkansas, but in the next couple of weeks, he's going to have one of those seven touchdown games and he'll get himself back in the mix a little bit. I think he's in the, in the top 10. I mean, those guys we named Bryce Young, both Robinsons, Corral, Goodson, CJ Stroud, Rattler. I mean, I think that's, I don't know how many that is, but that's roughly your top eight right there. I think you're. All right, boys, anything else you want to discuss this week? I'm good. I'll leave it to you guys for the last word. Last word. Um, hmm. I don't have anything. Ryan, do you have anything to talk about? I'm drawing a blank. Enjoy the game Saturday. Get some sleep. Play some golf Sunday morning. And then lock in for Bills Chiefs Sunday night football. That's the big one. Oh, I, I know how I want to end this. I was gonna ask Dan about Pitchfork downgrading Interpol's album to a 7.2. But yeah, Pitchfork did, did a like revised albums. They went back for the last 20 or so years and uh revised scores they gave albums. I don't know why they do this. I don't know why we have to retroactively like look back 20 years at pieces of art, but um, they downgraded it from like a nine, two to like a seven, four or something sketchy logic, but, but well, go give me your thoughts on that. And then I got another thing I want to send over to Ryan. That's horrible. No, that, that that's incorrect. The first Interpol album is still 
really fantastic. Turn on, turn on the bright lights is loaded, start to finish. It's an iconic album, part of the whole New York City scene in the early two thousands. Um, that's a poor move by uh, by fucking Pitchfork. That album's great. I know Interpol has continued to put out some other stuff and different side projects, and they're not as cool and hip. Like if Interpol would have put out two albums and then decided to go their own ways and broke up. They'd be up there with some of the best bands like like of our lifetime. People would be like, well, if Interpol just kept going, they would have been the best band. But unfortunately, they put out some some kind of trash albums after that. And Carlos D left the band and everything. But Turn on the Bright Lights is great. It's got great production, weird lyrics, some some really strange stuff going on. Um, I'm highly disappointed in Pitchfork. And that might be a Chicago versus New York City thing. It's pitchforks all Chicago, and sometimes they hate on the New York City act. So this could be a little bit of uh, New York jealousy rearing its ugly head. They did. They did make some good calls. They upgraded the second Strokes album to a nine-two, which yeah, is still right. still underrated. It is. That that album's extremely underrated because people wanted it to be the first album, and it, obviously it can't be. But it doesn't mean it was bad. I mean, it has some of the best Strokes songs ever on that album. And uh, Room on Fire is really, really great. It just, uh, it was an album that people just were never going to like. They couldn't put out anything that people were going to like as much as is this it. But I love Room on Fire. It's, it's got a bunch, I mean, it's got hit after hit after hit. If you told me I could only listen to one Strokes album for the rest of my life, I would pick Room on Fire. Obviously the first one, it's kind of like the first, or, you know, the big Nirvana, Nevermind, uh, why am I blanking? Yeah, never mind. Um, it's got the cultural impact that you can't deny, so you can never put anything above it. But just as a plain album, I think Room on Fire is as good or better. Uh, but one more thing I want to end on, Spill It, this is for you. Uh, Wegmans, the upstate New York you know, supermarket, has expanded into New England recently, and New Englanders are just discovering josh's jack's cereal there's a lot of buzz around this they want to know why are they seeing this in new england the answer of course is because wegmans is an upstate brand and also what is a jack and why is it named josh's jacks and i want to get your take on josh's jacks as compared to say kelly crunch and flutie flakes where does it rank in the pantheon of bill's quarterback cereals I mean, it's probably the best. Foodie Flakes is still the coolest and it's the most iconic. But I mean, Josh's Jacks, I mean, alliteration makes sense. Like an Apple Jacks is, uh, is what it is and resembles. So makes total sense. Get it out there. Also, you can always send that over the border and spell it with the J-A-C-Q-U-E-S, Josh's Jacques. And uh, that would work too. So you two countries, one stone. So uh, I'd say right now it's probably the best of the cereals as far as uh, marketability and, and resale value. Dan is a longtime Boston resident. Where would you go and what type of uh, or let me rephrase that. If you were tasked with making a Patriots themed cereal, what would it be and where would it exclusively be sold? 
Patriots themed cereal, Tom? Yes, this is part of some kind of penance for some kind of horrible crime you've committed. A Patriots cereal. Let's see. Um, now, like now, not Tom Brady's or whatever. I can't even answer this question, Tom. I'm going to refuse to answer. I'm sorry. I'm not answering anything to do with the New England Patriots. I don't even like talking to NFL on the show, let alone. It doesn't the have to be positive. You can use this to slam them. Look, it would be some sort of cereal that was actually just mediocre, but they cheated their way to the top. So, um, through evil marketing. So, wait, wait. I'm not. Cheetos? Is that anything? Here we go. Yeah. There you go, Tom. Cheetos. I like that. Um, Real quick, while I have this podcast on, I do it on my computer. I have the NFL game up in the corner. I saw something I've never seen before. Uh, Seattle had fourth and 10, so they were in a punt formation. They snapped the ball to the punter, punted the ball. The Rams put their hands up, and they hit the punt. It's blocked. The ball goes sideways. The punter runs over, grabs the ball, and then kicks it again and boots it downfield 65 yards. Is that legal? Can you Apparently, can you do no. that? Yeah, they allowed it to stand, and now and now the Rams have it way back on their own 15 yard line. So, if you ever get a punt blocked, grab the ball. You still have the opportunity to repunt it. Apparently, news to me. I've never seen that in the NFL or in football. Period. I don't think. I've never heard of that ever. But that's exciting. No. That's like um, every once in a while you learn a new rule like that. Maryland yeah. game where they were giving them the business a few years ago. Can't believe it. So, uh, yeah, keep your eyes open for that highlight. I've never seen that before. All right. Some uh, in-pod action. All right. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. And uh, have a good week. Enjoy the games. Enjoy Penn State, Iowa. Bye. Take the point. 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 Take the point.